0: title of the message is your worst day to your best day. Your worst day to your best day. How many of you have had a bad day? How many of you have had a bad year? Many of us would consider the last year a pretty bad year. You know, uh, how many of you have ever felt trapped and there's no way out? How many of you have had a bad situation? But I want to say this, that Jesus can bring your best day can bring your best day out of your worst day. Jesus can bring your best year out of your worst year. Jesus can bring the best situation out of the worst situation. So if you love God, if your faith is in Jesus and what he did at the cross, I want to assure you that even in the worst circumstances, the worst circumstances in your life, that God is there. God is there. And he's working to bring a good in your life. You might not see him. You might not feel him. But God is there. And we have this promise in Romans eight twenty eight. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. If you love God, if you're born again, God is at work in all the circumstances in your life, in the good and the bad, in the happy and the sad. When things are going well, or when things are falling apart, in health or not, In the highs or lows of your life, whether you feel loved or you're lonely, God is always there. And God is patiently working out things for good in your life. I want to share the true story about the woman that committed adultery. And Jesus changed the worst day of her life into the best day of her life. And just so you know, these are the scriptures that I got saved on. So, so this, this message has a little more meaning than most of the messages that i preached, but these are the very scriptures that I got saved on. And I can say this, that Jesus turned my worst day into my best day. But the, the scriptures are found in John chapter 8 and verses 2 through 11. And I'm not going to read all of these scriptures now, down, now. I'll break down each scripture as I go through this message. Now, a crowd had gathered to hear Jesus preach and teach in the temple. We find this in John chapter 8 and verse 2. And early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came on to him, and he sat down and taught them. Now, it was a day after the Feast of the Tabernacles, and Jerusalem was filled with people, and they were getting ready to travel home, but a lot of them, they wanted to go see the temple. I mean, the temple was really something to see. you know. So a lot of them, they went to the temple to see it one last time, before they went home and Jesus was there preaching and teaching and hundreds of people were crowded around Jesus and they wanted to hear Jesus speak. No man had ever spoken like this and they didn't want to miss a single word and tears were running down their eyes as they listened to Jesus and they got lost in his words. The words that Jesus spoke change, could change their lives Just think this is what it's going to be like us when we as believers surround Jesus in the coming kingdom. And we hear him teach. We hear his words. They'll come alive to us like never before. His words will burn in our hearts. Just think of that day. Just think of that day. Now when Jesus was preaching, the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman caught in the very act of adultery. We find this in John 8 and verse 3. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and they sent her and they, they had set her in the midst. Now, Jesus is teaching. He's speaking the living word that can change people's lives. And a group of scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders of Israel, they rudely come pushing and shoving through the crowd, dragging a woman with them and interrupting Jesus. Who were these men? Who were these men? Who were these scribes and Pharisees? These were the religious leaders of Israel. They were educated They were respected and well known. They were men of wisdom and high moral standards. If anyone anyone had a question about the law of Moses, these were the men that were supposed to have the answers. But these men were religious, and they did not know God. These men were religious, but they did not know God. They did not accept Jesus as their Messiah or their Savior. But most of all, they hated Jesus with a passion. They hated Jesus with a passion. Why? Large crowds were following Jesus because of the miracles that Jesus was doing and the lives that he changed. And large crowds were listening to his preaching and teaching. Many accepted Jesus as their Savior, as their Messiah. And the religious leaders of Israel, the scribes and Pharisees, they were afraid they were losing power, their power and influence over the people. So they do anything to stop his preaching and teaching. As they did here, they tried to stop him. And if they could, they would shut him up permanently, which they tried to do at the cross. So these religious leaders, just think of that. They didn't care about this woman. They did not care about the woman. They didn't care about the hundreds in the crowd that were listening to Jesus. They were on a mission to destroy Jesus. The religious leaders set a trap for Jesus. And we find this in John chapter 8, verses 4 through 6. And they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. And Moses in the law commands us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said tempting him that they, may have, that they might have to accuse him. So the religious leaders brought a woman to Jesus that committed adultery. This was true. She committed adultery. And adultery was a very serious sin against God. It was punishable by death, by death. Now, since adultery was a capital punishment, she could be put to death. Also, two witnesses were required. They needed two witnesses. And it had to be eyewitness testimony. It it couldn't be something like they saw them entering the bedroom and they saw them coming out. You, You know, it had to be more detailed and precise in that. Hearsay testimony was not allowed. They had to be caught in the exact act. How did they do that? How did they do that? How did they catch this woman in the exact act? But there's something else that's missing. What else is missing? Where's the man? Where's the man? Adultery requires two people, a man and a woman. By the law of Moses, both both parties were guilty and could be stoned. Where was the man? How could the man escape and not the woman? How? How? How could the man escape and not the woman? I think this was a setup. I think this was a setup. The religious leaders wanted to accuse Jesus, and they wanted to find fault with Jesus. So maybe they talked this man into seducing this woman so they could catch her in the act of adultery. Maybe they even paid him. Maybe it was even one of them. But they let the man go. Now they have the woman caught in the act of adultery, And they could set their trap for Jesus. Now, they thought they were putting Jesus in an impossible situation. Whatever Jesus did, he was going to be wrong. By the law of Moses, he had to stone her. And if he didn't stone her, he would have broken the law of Moses. And then he could not be called the Messiah or the Savior. Also, if Jesus stoned her, they could say, how can you be the son of God? How can you be the Messiah when you have no love and compassion? But another thing, you know what, if Jesus stoned her, you know, he'd also be in trouble because Rome was the only one that could carry out a capital punishment. The Jews could not put their own to death. Only Rome could do that. And if if Jesus broke the law of Moses, or or, or if, if, if So, so no matter what he did, the religious leaders thought they had him. In their minds, they had him. In, in their minds, there was no way out for Jesus. But you know what? An ordinary man would not have been able to get out of this trap. But this was no ordinary man. This was Jesus. This was the Messiah. Amen. This was a Savior. Amen. This was a great lawgiver. Amen. This is the only one that perfectly obeyed the law. And one day he would be the judge over all those that broke the law. He was no ordinary man. Now what would Jesus say? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? What would Jesus do? At first he just ignored them. And he wrote in the dust on the temple floor. How would you like that? Can you imagine those religious leaders? Jesus ignored them. Jesus ignored them, and they kept pressing him, and they kept asking him again and again, answer us, answer us. What are you going to do? What are you going to do, Jesus? She broke the law. And finally Jesus stood up, and he looked him right in the eyes, and he said, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. He who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Let that get down into your spirit. He that is without sin... Let him cast the first stone. And then Jesus stooped down and began writing on the ground again. Wow. What's he writing? Wouldn't you want to know what Jesus was writing? Why did he do that? Now, the Holy Spirit doesn't tell us. We don't know the answer. But some have said he wrote each one of the Ten Commandments to remind them of their sins. Maybe that could be it. Others say he may have written the names of the accusers, By the commandments they broke, Paul coveting, David adultery, Cain murder, Judas theft or stealing. Maybe Jesus wrote the names of their girlfriends in the dust. (laughs) Maybe they were committing the same sin. But Jesus writing in the dust twice may have a greater meaning than even that. Because there are two times in the scripture in which the Bible says that God wrote with his finger, that God wrote with his finger, God wrote the Ten Commandments with his own finger right. and two tables of stone. And these, these commandments were simple and clear and direct so that we could understand and follow them. By Jesus writing in the, te- in the dust, perhaps he was telling these scribes and Pharisees that he was deity. He was a great lawgiver. Law, law he was not just a man. And then the other time that, that God wrote with his finger, comes from the book of Daniel when King Belshazzar, you know, he put on a great feast and there was a lot of drinking and debauchery. And finally, the king resorted to the ultimate blasphemy by using the sacred temple vessels from the temple in Jerusalem to drink wine from. And suddenly, a great hand appeared and rode on the wall. And the king turned ashen and all the people around him were stunned and silent. And the words were written in Persian, many, many, tekel, a parson, and they didn't know the meaning of the words. Now that would get your attention, wouldn't it? Yeah. A hand, God's hand, writing in the wall. And they didn't know what this meant. So of course they have to call a man of God. They had to call Daniel the prophet to interpret the meaning. And the meaning is, you are weighed in the balance and found wanting. You are weighed in the balance and found If Jesus wrote those words, he's basically saying, you know, if you don't repent, judgment is coming. And they didn't repent, and judgment came. Now, when Jesus spoke, let him who is without sin and cast the first stone. And whatever Jesus wrote, you know what happened? The Holy Spirit started to move. 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 And great conviction came on the scribes and the Pharisees. And great conviction came on all the people. And they all walked away. They all walked away. We find this in John chapter 8 and verse 9. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. So when Jesus spoke these words, when Jesus wrote these words, they all been, began to walk away from the oldest to the last. Now, I don't know why the oldest walked away first, but most of them weren't saved, so probably they had more sins to confess. <laughs> you know, probably their hearts were harder. You know, maybe, maybe they came, became aware of their great sinfulness. You know, they, they had many, many more sins. We, we don't know why, but, you know, they could not stand in his presence. They could not stand in his presence. Under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, they walked away. They walked away. Some believe that only the religious leaders walked away. Some believe that only the religious leaders walked away, but I don't believe that. I believe the crowd walked away also. And all that was left was this woman and Jesus. Now, why do I believe this? When Jesus wrote in the dust, let him who is without, when Jesus spoke those words, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. None of us are without sin. None of us are without sin. We're all guilty. All of us have broken every one of the Ten Commandments. We all deserve to be condemned. Jesus could have wrote in the dust, guilty. He could have just wrote that one word for all of us, guilty. We don't know what he wrote. But actually, when the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, we should not run from Jesus. We should run to Jesus. When the Holy Spirit convicts us in our sin, we should not run from Jesus, we should run to Jesus. The scribes and the Pharisees, they did not care about the woman, they were just using her to get at Jesus, but actually God used them to do a good thing, just think, like God used them to do a good thing. What? They brought this woman to Jesus, you know, the only person that could help her. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they thought they were doing a bad thing, but they were actually using God's plan to save this woman. They brought this woman to Jesus, Mm. the only one that could help her. So that should be an encouragement to us. Sometimes God can even use bad people and terrible situations to bring us to Jesus, the only one that can help us. Amen? Amen. Now the religious leaders and the scribes and Pharisees and all who walked away would get no help. All those that walked away would get no help. But the woman got help. The woman got help, but all that walked away would get no help. So if you walk away from this message and sermon, if you walk away from Jesus, you'll get no help. Now compared to the scribes and Pharisees, this woman almost looked like a saint. Compared to the scribes and Pharisees, this woman almost looked innocent. Their sin was greater. Why? Because it was couched in religion. They were using God's word, and they were twisting try to accuse Jesus so their sin was actually much worse and much greater than the sin of this woman now the woman caught in the sin of adultery was closer to salvation she was closer to this kingdom of God than they were the religious leaders of Israel she didn't deny her sin and they didn't admit that they had any and they walked away she did not deny her sin and they did not admit that they had any sin and they walked away And I want to ask you, who was this woman? Who was this woman? Was she single, engaged, or married? We don't know. Uh, Did she have a previous relationship with any of the accusers? We don't know. Was she young or old? The Bible doesn't tell us, but we know this. The scribes and Pharisees did not care about this woman. The religious leaders of Israel did not care about this woman. She was just a pawn. Really, her adultery was of no concern to them. She was just a means to an end that they could trap Jesus. And the scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders of Israel, they were very cruel. They were very cruel. You know, they did not have to publicly expose this woman. They did not have to publicly expose this woman and put this woman to shame. They could have brought her to the proper officials in, in, in Israel for this crime. But they weren't seeking to punish the woman They wanted to trap Jesus. They wanted to trap Jesus so they could care less about this woman. Now think of this woman that was standing alone before Jesus. She'd been caught in the terrible act of adultery. She was guilty. She had been publicly shamed, and now she was cowering in front of Jesus, full of fear. She probably wanted to die. She probably wished that she were dead. She probably expected to die was probably waiting for the first stone to be thrown at her. Wouldn't you say that that was probably the worst day of her life? Yeah. 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 Wouldn't you say that that was probably the worst day of her life? Yeah. I don't know how you could have a day any worse than that. If somebody has one, let me know about it, okay? <laughs> but I don't think anybody could have a, a day worse than that. Have you ever been there? The worst day or time of your life? You're in a terrible situation and there's no way out? The good thing is, even though it is the worst day of her life, she's standing alone with Jesus, the only one that can help her, and he will. And it seems that in all of our lives, at some point, we'll have a serious problem, and we'll be alone with Jesus. How many of you have ever been alone with Jesus? It seems that in all of our lives, at some point, we'll have a serious problem, and we'll be alone with Jesus. You have a a, a choice at that point. You can walk away from Jesus like the religious leaders and the crowd did and get no help. Or you can turn to Jesus, confess your sins, accept him as your Lord and Savior, and let Jesus turn your worst day into your best day. And I came to a point like this in my life, and I'm going to share my testimony to you. I got saved on these very words in John chapter 8. So, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Those are the words that I got saved on. Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. So let me share my testimony with you. I was not a Christian. I didn't grow up in a Christian family. My father was an alcoholic, and my, my parents argued about where we should go to church. My father was a Lutheran, and my mother was a Methodist. And I don't know how they decided this, but as children, they decided to let us go to the Lutheran church. But they wouldn't let us be confirmed. I mean, we went to Sunday school. We didn't go to church. They wouldn't let us go to church. They wouldn't let us be confirmed. (laughs) And, and, uh, And neither of them attended church. And sometimes my father would drop us off at Sunday school, and then he'd go drink. And many of my father's friends, you know, they went to church. Yeah, they went to church every Sunday. But right after church, they were out on the front steps cussing and smoking. And during the week, they drank just like my father. And I could not see the love of power in God in demonstration there. And when I was about 16 years old, I told my parents I would not go to church anymore. And I said, you don't go to church, and I'm not going to church anymore. And I did not set foot in a church again, except for weddings and funerals, until I was 28 years old. And I was driven to college by the thought that I didn't want to be anything like my father. Now, I love my father, but I didn't want to be – that was a driving force for me, you know, and – uh, I felt that if I worked hard and got my PhD, then I would succeed. And I finished all my coursework, all my classes for my PhD. I had one year of research left, and my wife left me for another man. My w- wife left me for another man. That was my worst day. I quit school the next day and moved home where my, with my mom. And there was a Bible up on the bookshelf, a Bible that I got for going to Sunday school 100 Sundays. It was actually my Bible. It was actually my Bible. But however, at the time, I was kind of mad at God. I felt that I worked hard. I felt like I tried not to hurt anybody. I felt I was basically a good person. So why are all these bad things happening to me? However, I could not get that Bible out of my mind. And about a month later, I took the Bible down and started reading it as a hypocrite. I looked up every scripture on adultery because I felt that the Bible would support me. And then I got, however, in John scriptures that we're studying in John chapter 8 verses 2 through 11 the religious leaders brought the lady to Jesus and committed adultery and they were putting Jesus in an impossible situation because by the law of Moses he would have to stone her and, uh, you know, and if he stoned her they'd say how, how can you be the son of God you have no love and compassion and whatever Jesus did he was going to be wrong and then Jesus said if you're sinless you cast the first stone and I got hit right between the eyes with a big rock That's how John Vigness got saved. And that point, you know, I I realized I was a sinner. I cried out to Jesus in my tears, and I asked him to forgive my sins. And I invited him into my life as my Lord and my Savior. And Jesus turned my worst day into my best day. I got saved, and Jesus turned my entire life around. And today I'm preaching and teaching and sharing Jesus. I'm living my best life. Thank you, God. What would have happened if I would have walked away? What would have happened if I would have walked away? What would have happened if I turned my back on Jesus? Where would I be today? You know, what, what happened to those religious leaders in the crowd that walked away? What happened to them? The Bible doesn't say. We don't know, but I don't think it's very good. I don't think it's very good. So there, there are people who reach this point in their lives. It's the worst day or period of their lives, and they're alone with Jesus jesus would help them if they would just confess their sins and put their faith and trust in jesus and what he did he did at the cross and jesus and asked jesus to help them. he would but instead they turn away and many do not survive an event like this many turn to alcohol drugs or sex many are withdrawing to themselves and live empty lives some even commit suicide some even commit suicide don't do this Run to Jesus. Don't run away from Jesus. And he'll turn your, the worst day of your life into your best day. Now some feel that the man who committed adultery, whoever he was, got away with his sin. They say he was lucky and that she was unlucky. No, no, no. This man was not lucky. You know, he didn't get away with anything because God saw it all. That's right. Many run away from Jesus. But they don't get away with anything because God sees it all. And their guilt, you know, their sins, if it's not put in the the blood, under the blood, will follow them forever, right into hell, where there's no help forever. Just think about that. Now, why didn't a woman leave Jesus? She probably could have left, you know. But she knew she was guilty, and she made no excuses. She didn't try to hide it. She trusted Jesus to do the right thing. Now we get to the good part. Jesus is going to turn this woman's worst day into her best day. Now we get to the good part. Jesus is going to turn this woman's worst day into her best day. We find this in John chapter 8, verses 10 through 11. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are your accusers? Has no man condemned you? And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn you, Go and sin no more. All of the accusers walked away. Why? They were guilty. We're all guilty before God if if our sins are not under the blood. Jesus asked, does any man condemn you? Does any man condemn you? And she said, no, Lord. No man condemns me. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Now, why did Jesus let this woman go? Didn't she break you know, commit adultery? Didn't she break the Ten Commandments? Well, first of all, the law requires two witnesses. Remember, right. I told you the law requires two witnesses, right. and all the accusers and witnesses had walked away. Even if Jesus was a witness, he's only one. It takes two witnesses, right? And and Jesus didn't condemn her. Just think of that. Jesus did not condemn her. Why? You you know because in four months would be condemned on the cross for her you know at the cross Jesus would take her condemnation That's right. Jesus took all of our condemnation at the cross That's right. Jesus took all of our condemnation in John chapter 3 and verse 17 it says for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world That's right. Jesus didn't come into this world to condemn the world he came to save you Amen. he came right. to save Amen. the world Amen. Jesus doesn't condemn you Jesus died for your pornography and sexual sins. Jesus died for your alcohol and drug addictions. Jesus died for your abortion. Jesus died for your, angry, your anger, hatred, and racism. Jesus died for every one of your sins. And he does not condemn you. That's right. Now the order of Jesus' words in verse 11 are very important. The order of Jesus' words in verse 11 are very important. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. Jesus didn't say, sin no more, and then I won't condemn you. Jesus didn't say, sin no more, and then I won't condemn you. See, religion says, change, or I'll condemn you. That's That's what religious people say. That's what religion says. Change, and then I won't condemn you. But Jesus gives us his grace, and he says, I've forgiven you. Now let me change your life. He doesn't condemn us. He says, now I've forgiven you. Now let me change your life. Jesus did not play down or dismiss the sin of adultery. Jesus did not play down or dismiss the sin of adultery. Jesus did not say, it's no big deal. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to let it slide. Jesus did not say, it's not your fault. In today's world, many have come to regard adultery as nothing. Jesus did not do that. He upholds the law. Now, adultery is a horrible sin. It violates marriage. It wrecks homes. It damages children. It destroys our society. It, takes, it, it attacks everything uh, that God holds dear. Jesus said, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now the woman that committed adultery, now she's saved. She's cleansed and she's set free. Amen. And Jesus for, would forever change her life and turn her worst day into her best day. And maybe this is where you're at right now. It's the worst day of your life. It's the worst year of your life. It's the worst circumstance of your life. But don't run from Jesus. Run to Jesus. He won't condemn you. He wants to turn your worst day into your best day. Amen. 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 And, and now I just I just want to speak to those that might hear me via the internet or social network, and maybe you're in a situation like that. Many are of the crisis that we've gone through with corona maybe this is your worst day your worst year the worst time in your life maybe you're facing a lot of different things and and i'm believing right now right now we're bringing you to jesus this message is bringing you to jesus it's bringing you to jesus Now, what will you do what will you do will you accept jesus will you ask him to forgive your sins will you invite him into your life or will you just ignore this message and walk away going to change the destiny destiny of your life and i'm praying that you run to jesus right now this is your moment you're alone with jesus and if you'd like to accept jesus christ as your lord and savior please pray this prayer with me father i come to you in the precious name of jesus and jesus i ask you to forgive my sins and i invite you into my life as my lord and savior and i don't put my trust in anything that i do jesus But I put my my trust in you, Jesus, and what you did at the cross. And I ask you for that gift of eternal life. I receive it, and I thank you for it. Jesus, please be the Lord of my life and deliver me from all sin. And Jesus, please turn this worst time of my life into my best time. In Jesus' name, amen.